All right. Well, good to see everyone. I know they're going to be coming on in here. And uh, my name is Jeremy Frazier. And most of you I don't know. And, uh, but there is a handful of you that I do know. And uh, we're so glad to be here. Sometimes people get me confused um, with a good friend of mine named Aaron Coffey. Uh, but I'm the better looking one, just so you know. Uh, he's my good friend. Uh, we, um, we actually at one point traveled together on the Pettit Evangelistic Team, which the funny part about that is that I was a married couple, and then actually that's where he met his wife, and so he wasn't married yet. And he's actually, we're about the same age. He might be a year older than me. But um, anyway, as we're traveling on that team, people sometimes would, would see me, and they would think I'm him, or they would see him and think that he's me. So it was kind of it would happen all the time. So people at times would come up to me and say, "Jeremy, great guitar guitar playing tonight." You know, say great guitar playing. And he was the guitarist. And um, if it was fast, I would just kind of I'd say, "Hey, thanks." You know, and <laughs> because if but if they talked me for a moment, I said, "Ah, no, that's actually Aaron." And uh, and there would be times where they would there would be pastors who would be talking to Aaron about him coming to the church and preaching and Aaron wasn't launching off. It was me. And so they would get us mixed up too. And, and so anyway, uh, we're grateful to be with you. Um, I have been to Florida many, many, many times. Um, growing up, my grandparents uh, lived in Gainesville, Florida. And so we always would go to Gainesville. My grandpa at the time, he was a Christian businessman, moved from Iowa and moved to Florida. Um, a long time ago, and uh, he's since those are both my, my grandparents are both passed, but they he kind of eventually ended up in Gainesville, bought a kind of a ranch there, had about 110 acres in Gainesville, um, and so we would always come down to the to the ranch or to the farm in a sense. It was really kind of cool, but now that whole area is all built up with you know complexes and stuff like that too. But um, but we remember all these years coming through the Gainesville area. So a lot of times in Gainesville. Been down to Miami quite a bit, been to um, to the other side, I guess you could say the Gulf side, but I actually never really spent time on this side. And uh, my mom even grew up somewhat on this side. She's from Iowa, but grew up really on this side in a sense too. So I'm excited about being here. And, uh, and I will tell you that when we came from North Georgia yesterday uh, or the day before, and when we did that, um, you know, it was kind of the North Georgia sort of edge of mountains and then we come here and all of a sudden yesterday, we experienced yesterday's weather and we're like, oh wow, like this is really, really nice. So uh, we enjoyed yesterday um, and then we're looking forward to this week. We'll be here, uh, we'll be in Bradenton next week. Uh, we will be in Jacksonville the week after that. And then we will be in Round Rock, Texas the week after that. So every once in a while we have these long, long drives. We had a long drive kind of to get to you guys and we'll have a real long drive to get to basically Austin, Texas from Jacksonville. Uh, and then we'll go from that week to into Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix. We'll eventually end up kind of in Reno, Nevada, and a church plant that's going on through up there, working our way. And then we'll end up in California. So that's where we finish off in May. So we're, we're moving. And, uh, and hopefully you'll get to meet our, our team, my, my wife. Uh, you'll meet her. Her name is Misha. Her real name is Melissa. Everyone has just called her Misha forever. And so Misha is her nickname. Um, but everyone kind of knows her by Misha. And um, so she's uh, my wife. We have five children. And so our oldest is in college in South Carolina. And then we have um, four or three other boys, so four boys in a row. And then we have a little girl named Kalea. Kalea is nine, and I think she thinks she's 18. Um, but we're, 
We are so thankful for our family. Then you'll meet team members, uh, team members through the years, just kind of give you guys a heads up as we've had um, right at 43 people travel with us through the years. And so since the 07, we kind of launched off from Steve Pettit. And um, so we kind of typically would carry four to five team members. Uh, that's kind of our range where we like to have it. Usually the idea is kind of college grads, um, 22 to 28. Although this year uh, we have some young ones and some older ones. So, so it's kind of like that. So, it's, so anyway, you'll see these guys and um, they've been a great encouragement and a great blessing. And they're in the different programs right now. All right, take your Bible and go with me to the book of 2 Timothy. I'm going to do something very unique, okay? And I say this because this is probably not the norm, um, but I have been working on a, on a doctorate in expository preaching. And in the process of it, one of the studies that I've been going through is actually a study on the evangelist. Well, obviously, that's what I am and what I seek to do. But what is the biblical evangelist? And I think this is an, it's a great study. I, I say this because we were in a church, and um, a, a very a good church in Tennessee, where there's a lot of um, people with high education and people even ministry education. Um, and it's interesting, as I went through this, how many people were somewhat shocked and never really considered that, which I understand because if you're a pastor, you probably study out the pastorate. You know, how do you better pastor? What does the Bible actually say about that? And so the same way as an evangelist, what am I going to study out? Well, what is, it, what is it really a biblical evangelist? What does the Bible even teach about that? And I find that so much of our thoughts are actually to us because of our experience. And so it really depends on your experience. And then I want to, in a little bit, say, kind of scrap your experience for a moment and let's look at the Bible, okay? Because experience can sometimes not always be uh, the best thing for us, all right? Let me begin, though, with a word of prayer, uh, personally, and, um, and then we'll look into this topic. Let me kind of flip it over to you. Uh, here's what the idea is uh, as we work through this. But I'm going to, it's going to be maybe like drinking from a fire hose. Just so you know, this is not how I preach uh, I'm going to preach differently than this, but anyway, I just want to give you a, a this is a, a, you know, Sunday school hour, so that's going to be a little bit different, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and kindness. Thank you for your love and your mercy. Lord, as we look to you now, we look to your word, and we want to ask that question, what does your word say? Lord, it really doesn't matter what mankind says. We need to know what your mindset is. So, Lord, I ask that you would give us your mindset and that we would be biblically based people, that we would seek to do the work of an evangelist. And um, so, God, I know that this is, even in our modern culture, this is something that is so needed. And, God, I ask that you would raise up people within this assembly who would be people doing the work. Lord, you've called us all to do this work, to evangelize, but you sometimes put your hand specifically on certain people when it comes to preaching or teaching, and so, God, we, we, we realize that, and we just pray that you would get glory for what you're going to do here. Empower me, please. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Now, I say that, too, because I think of the morning time, and I tell people sometimes I'm not even a Christian until about 10. Okay, now I'm up way earlier, but I'm just not a morning person. How many of you are morning people? You wake up and you love the mornings. Okay, whoa, okay, you guys are weird. Put your hands down. And, um, 
I like love evening times. I just, oh, I'm always up early, but I'm like, I'll drink coffee. I'll do everything. I just feel like I'm not really a Christian until 10. Praise God. We don't have to live on our feelings. Okay. So anyway, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I think you know this passage, which is such a, an amazing passage and needed even for our culture. It's a whole other message, but let me just, as we look at chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. This is the Apostle Paul in his last words given to Timothy, his son in the faith. Listen to what he has to say. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. What's the charge? Here it is. Ready? Preach the word. That's the charge. It's, the idea is proclaim it. Proclaim the message. Preach the word. The Greek word is, is caruso. It's to herald it out. It's like someone announcing something. It's like, you know, Caesar has, ha has an heir to the throne. You know, they, they're going to say it, but he's proclaiming. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. And how should you do it? You should reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, long-suffering and doctrine. And so when you do this, here's what it says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths or fables. And as for you, Timothy, he says, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What does he mean by that? And actually, when you think about the idea of a biblical evangelist to do the work of an evangelist, what is an evangelist? I don't know. What even, maybe you could say this, you know, what comes to your mind when you, when you think of this term, evangelist. Now, there can be a lot of things that come to your mind, and it could be positive or it could be negative. Now, I kind of say this because I think about people like this. Maybe your first thought is Billy Graham, you know, I mean, evangelist. I mean, and we kind of think about that, and probably everyone knows the name Billy Graham. And some of you, that's, that's very, very positive, and some of you could be negative. When I think about this, I think about Billy Graham, and I would say, you know, um, I'm thankful for Billy Graham in this sense that I that God used him. My grandfather, who who moved down to Florida, he was uh, saved and by hearing Billy Graham listening to the message and the gospel and responded to it. Um, you know, there's a a, a a library that's like you know it's a museum. It's a Billy Graham library. At one point, we were in Charlotte area, North Carolina, and uh, we were encouraged by a, a local, very solid pastor, and they just said, "Hey, if you're right there, you should go check it out. I mean, you're an evangelist. It would probably be interesting to you." And we walked through this, and clearly the gospel being presented, and it was amazing. I mean, you kind of walked away. There are certain times you, you just realize here's a unique person um, who God's um, hand was on, obviously, as he preached the word. But if you notice the one picture right there, literally, like, that's, that's people, like, as far as the eye can see. I mean, I think they estimated that crowd at that point in time, with all the speakers keep going out and out and out further, um, I think one point something million people in the crowd that's crazy. Um, and so, you know, but then I, th I also think of, you know, some negative. Maybe for you, you, you know about him in the 50s and, you know, bringing a Catholic on stage and basically kind of saying, hey, he's a good godly man. He's going to pray for us to open up, this, open up the meetings. And so, you know, or sometimes in the past training even Catholics or whatever too in the process. The problem with that is then is it works-based or is it by grace alone? I mean, there's, a, there's struggles with some of that. Um, and so there's some, there's some things like that. But maybe you think of Benny Hinn. 
And honestly, maybe you, maybe you watch a lot of television and the first thing because you're right, it's Benny Hinn, you know, and you're waiting for me to take off my suit coat to kind of swing it at you and we'll have a healing service later this afternoon or something. No, 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 it's not going to happen. Um, but you might think of something like a Benny Hinn and I, I think of one uh, famous one. I can't remember if it was Benny Hinn or not, but it was interesting. He was raising money as a faith healer. He was raising money to build uh, a hospital. <laughs> Phonies, okay, phonies, okay, you should go to the hospital and relieve people, but anyway, uh, I think of Scandal, maybe think of this name, Jimmy Swagger, every once in a while he's still on television too, which is interesting to kind of consider, and, and multiple times of immorality, and, and yet, you know, supposedly kind of coming clean and just keeps on going like no big deal, um, and so you have that kind of stuff. Um, maybe think historically, Billy Sunday, um, you know, he's a converted... Base professional baseball player. Uh, maybe think of I, I think of George Whitfield. Whitfield just did a, a massive study, and part of my even my my um, dissertation was dealing with George Whitfield. And Whitfield, unbelievable. I don't know if you know this, but Whitfield was it was you know 1714 to like 1770. Um, Whitfield crossed the Atlantic on a ship like 13 times uh, in his ministry, Whitfield had a, had a vocal ability where he could speak and they measured it out between a mile and two miles. You could hear him. That's how far, I mean, that's crazy to think of the vocal abilities. He wasn't necessarily a large man to be able to do that. Uh, he preached some 18,000 messages. If you include smaller messages and teachings, literally right around 30,000 messages in his lifetime, he averaged between six and eight hours a day preaching. Like, I don't even understand how you can physically handle any of that. And, um, and yet, great awakening, unbelievable kind of things. He even said at some point in time, he's very energetic as a preacher, um, but he said, listen, I will not be a velvet-tongued preacher because he had all these people that would, would have their homilies and they would read it and would be very, very eloquent and stuff too. And he said, I, I, I turn from that because I'm preaching the truth and I'm giving people the truth and there should be some emotion in a sense with it as he had preached the gospel. He was very much a theological preacher as well. D.L. Moody, many of you guys know him. Uh, know that name. I think of people in our, in our modern day, like Steve Pettit. I don't know if you've ever had Steve Pettit here or not, uh, but Steve Pettit, I traveled with him. He traveled in evangelism for like 30 years. Um, he is now the president of, of Bodrum's University, and um, if you ever get to hear him preach, he is a very gifted preacher of the, of the gospel, and um, I'm thankful for Steve. He was, he's one who started modeling expository preaching within evangelism for me, which is really, really exciting. Uh, I think about, you know, another name up there, this picture, and the guy up in the far right is a guy named Tom Farrell. He's, he's since just passed, but it's interesting because they, we used to call him Double Barrel Tom Farrell, and you can only imagine, he'd be like, turn in your Bibles, dude, and all of a sudden he started going, and you're like, whoa, you know, but he, he'd preach. And then this guy, Jerry Savinsky, Jerry Savinsky, he's got some sons out there who are, who are ministering in evangelism. Brent Savinsky is a good friend of ours, Scott, you know, Todd is down in uh, pastoring in Georgia, but it's interesting uh, just his story. So I, I kind of say, you got a background. I don't know what your background is, but everyone kind of thinks of something. So in, in the reality, as you begin to kind of even consider these things, I mean, I will tell you, there are some negative thoughts. I mean, I remember asking people, even our own team members, as we we're training with them, I kind of said, hey, listen, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts negatively towards an evangelist? 
and I got a list of them. These are just from my own team. They're getting ready to travel on an evangelistic team, you know what I mean? And I've asked people in churches the same way, but here we go, ready? Some negative thoughts, just some thoughts. Emotional manipulation. Uh, you don't want to go down there, do you? Don't you want to be with mommy and daddy? They're going to be in heaven. Tell them like really amazing stories that just so draw you to tears, to pull you within the emotion, to, to get you to move. And you, and you can sense it if you ever experience one of those where you're like, ooh, it's, it's not like the Holy Spirit drawing you or it's not like him giving the scriptures and saying, okay, are you going to be obedient to the word? It's, it's manipulation. It's a guilt trip kind of idea. And I'm, and I'm going to stand to number 37, you know, until you, until you come, you know what I mean? We're going to keep on going. Actually, there's a church in, in uh, Columbia, South Carolina area, and they were saying this. They said this guy got up and he began speaking. And literally when he concluded, he said, you know, no one's coming forward on the invitation. And you should. And so, and he keeps the invitation going. It was like eight stanzas, eight, whatever. He just kept going until finally, I think someone came forward. I don't know if they really came forward really feeling it, but they were like, if they, no one comes forward, he won't shut this down. It's going to go on and on. And it just felt so manipulated. Um, it wasn't the real deal. Now, the truth is, is, is it may be the second stanza that at some point in your past that you responded. You know, I don't want to, because all these, you can have a positive a spin on some of these things too. But, but what about this health, wealth, prosperity gospel? It's a phony gospel. Give your life to Jesus, you know, and you're going you're gonna to have a lot of money. You'll never get COVID or cancer or anything like that. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's, it's health, wealth, prosperity. It's a phony gospel. I mean, you, you think about Joel Osteen, you think about the gospel presented and you go, where, where is the cross of Christ preached? Where is sin dealt with in a real way, calling it sin? And so uh, maybe you have in your face preaching that. Have you ever heard where the guy, you just yell at you. You know, you're like, what's, you're like, why is that guy so mad? You know, you're wondering. Um, and some of you might see the YouTube things where the preacher out of, it was like a preacher in Texas or something. He's walking around and he's, he was telling each, each like member or something. And you, sir. And he would like name off. And, like, and you am, you know, and then you, you know, I, I married you two over there, you know, and, and you in the sound booth. I mean, he was like filleting everybody. And at first you watch it, you think, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> but then you realize, oh, wait a second. This is actually a real place. And uh, this is really happening. Um, and so you've got that kind of stuff. You have maybe just not expository. You hear, you hear the message and you go, man, that's, Jeremy, that's great truth, but that's not right there where you preach. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's the wrong text. You know, that's bad. It shows no study. Um, or this, maybe just not a local church kind of a person. So therefore he's kind of a maverick. He kind of does his own thing. Some of them even would even say, hey, I supersede the pastor and the list, you know, when you have the list in Ephesians 4. And so, and so therefore, it's like, you know, whatever I say goes. It, what? What is this? You know, they blow in, they blow up, and they blow out, you know. Uh, there's some truth. To some, I mean, again, all of these, there's some truth to some of these things, okay? Because you can take it to extreme, but you can pull back on. Now, really fast with you. Again, we're not in the scriptures yet. But we're getting ready to be, okay? So here's some positive thoughts. If the guy is actually really preaching the word well, you get intentional, expository preaching that changes, that's life-changing. It's like, that's the word, it was given to me. I remember, I remember some of Pettit's messages where even some of them where he's preaching one, I would hear it 
And, you know, an evangelist has the opportunity to tweak a message. You can preach it again if you want to, you know. And so he's tweaking these messages, but he's preaching. So I remember it was, I, I don't know, it was months later. It was maybe the, maybe the fourth time or fifth time I heard that same message. And that's the time where it really nailed me. Where I'm like, now I get what he's saying. And when you have really good, positive preaching, some of you guys have experienced that. It is life, real preaching affects you. And so, especially when it's, when it's really, really biblical preaching. Uh, here's another one, gospel clarity. I mean, if he's an evangelist, I mean, you should get some real better gospel clarity. Maybe you're a new believer, maybe you're not. And, and even within that, think about this, salvation. Sometimes people think of salvation as only, you know, I just got saved, you know. And so they're thinking of justification. Can I tell you salvation is far more than justification? I mean, that, that's where it begins. You're declared righteous. But then the reality is, is God has to daily save you from sin. That's called sanctification. And then ultimately he will save you from the very presence of known sin. That's glorification. But I've had people say stuff like, well, why would I need to come to an evangelistic service? I'm already a Christian. And I'm thinking, you don't understand the gospel then, do you? Um, and I would hope to try to help him better understand or her better understand the gospel when it comes to that. But then I think about a good communicate. Hopefully, if you're speaking a lot, you can communicate better. You know, if you, have to, if you do it all the time, you, you hopefully get better. Now I say that, you know, I, I always pray for better communication. <laughs> I'm just being careful, okay? Um, but I say that, um, so Micah, who's with us, Micah, his dad is a church planter. Now the church seems to be established in South Bend, Indiana. So that's where Micah is from, and you'll, you'll be Micah. Micah is, did not come on for music. He came on as a preacher. He's preaching to the kids, he'll preach to the teens, and uh, very just gifted that way. Um, Micah, before coming on with us in, in August, preached three or four times. I mean, he has a degree in apologetics. He's helped, he basically helped his dad's church plant like kind of from the beginning. And, um, but very, very minimal preaching. Since he's been with us, you can imagine he's preaching at least once, sometimes twice a day. And so if you think about that, in one year with us from August to May, someone who travels with us, as a, if he's a preacher, what will happen is he will preach more than an assistant pastor will in five years, most likely. So the reality is that's a lot of speaking. Um, and so the good communicator, or maybe, again, life-changing. How many of you, out of curiosity, how many of you uh, either came to Christ or God used an evangelist, strictly an evangelist, in your life in some area of sanctification or in your past helping you grow spiritually, but, it was, but God used somebody to make a, maybe some kind of a life-changing style of decision within your own heart and life? Would you raise your hand? with mine. Okay. Yeah. So numbers of you here. So not to say that, you know, I, I think through that and go, it's amazing how God can use, um, that I would also say this, you might have the best preacher in the world. And can I tell you, you do have a gifted preacher, but you can get used to the gifted preacher's voice. And now you get someone who comes in from sort of the outside saying the same thing, but in a different way. And all of a sudden it's amazing how God can use that. Some of you know that because you send your kids to camp and they come home and be like, you will not believe I learned that if I obey and honor my parents, you know, <laughs> there's a blessing from God. And so, 
and you're thinking, I've told you, you know, like, but then you're also like, thank you, preacher, whoever you were, you know what I mean? That's how you feel. So different speaker can be powerful. And then I would also say this too, if it's done right in the end, you're encouraged by it. You're better equipped uh, for the sake of the gospel and gospel ministry. So that's, that's some helpful thoughts. Okay. Some positive thoughts. Okay. Now, what is it though? Like, what is it? Okay. A seminary professor, I remember being in seminary and asking the question, you know, this, and they're going to tell you what it is. It's seminary, you know. And so some would say the biblical evangelist is strictly, it's a church planter. If you really go back to the Bible, it's a church planter. Okay. I'm not going to necessarily discount that, but I would ask the question of the one who has called it in scripture, what church did they plant? And there's a little bit, when you really look at scripture, you kind of go, I think that they were, but everyone was doing this, was church planting. But I would kind of, I would, I would, I would push back on that a little bit. I would say this maybe too, missionary. Well, sure. Uh, one, one realm, I think of it, a, another realm of, of uh, that, you know, that would be on the, like the West Coast, talking to this group that's very grounded biblically in the sense of the scripture what do you think it is? And I said, well, he's a missionary. Oh, okay. Well, how come you don't call your missionaries evangelists? Uh, we just don't. I don't know. You know, I didn't really think about it. I'm like, oh, just curious. Um, uh, maybe an outreach pastor. Why, why couldn't it be someone on, on staff of the church who, who actually is gifted in, in reaching out and equipping people? I remember even talking to an evangelist of the past who was very dogmatic of what the person would be. Actually, he, his thought was this. He's a local church, a revival, evangelistic meeting. Past. I mean, you're not really an evangelist if you don't have a truck and trailer and have weeks of meetings. <laughs> and that's what an evangelist is, you know, and you're going. And actually, it's, it's interesting. That's the mindset. It's where you came up. It's where you. But again, why couldn't it be an outreach pastor? I mean, if he, if he follows the biblical realm of it, why, is, if he's equipping and helping, especially for evangelism, and so, anyway, I'm just saying all this to kind of say, I'm throwing it out there to say, what do you think it is? And then I would say this. Okay, here we go. Ready? Scrap it all. If we can do that, we can kind of like pull back, push it away. Let's look at the Bible. Okay, here we go. Let's look at the Bible and we'll do this really fast. Okay, so the first thing is I want you to know it's only mentioned three times the word evangelist is in Scripture which is kind of a shocker. Now the word evangelize is mentioned much more, but the evangelist, evangelist is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Can you think of where they would be? Okay, let's name, let's name them. Where are they in scripture? Can we think of it? Okay, Ephesians. That's the one we're gonna look at that in a second. Um, Acts, how so? Who said Acts? They're hiding now. <laughs> um, but Acts is correct. Okay, if you're, some of you are peeking on the back because you're seeing my 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 peeking notes back there. It's Acts 21. So you're right. That is one. And then the other one is obviously the one we just read. Remember in 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 Second uh, Timothy. And so those are the three. So I, I just say that. Let me just kind of throw them out to you. Okay, so you can see these. These are the three passages in the New Testament in the Bible that has the term. So if those are the three, we've read here that he's supposed to, Timothy's supposed to do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't say that Timothy is an evangelist, but he's supposed to do the work of one. 
Uh, what is that supposed to mean? We'll kind of look at that in a second. But I think maybe the helpful thought would be is to go in a specific order. Okay, so here's, again, Timothy that tells us, do the work. Okay, do the, so that's, and it's at the end of Paul's ministry before he's going to pass away, which again, it's later in the ministry, which tells you it's still active in what he's doing. Timothy, you need to do the work of an evangelist, okay? Um, and so here's the person, the only person in Scripture now, which is interesting because I remember asking all these people, I actually pulled the whole congregation. We actually did a huge study, a huge survey, did even a small group survey and stuff and stuff, did, did a big world church-wide. And the church was about your size, right around your size church. Very few named Philip as the one in Scripture who's the evangelist. A lot of people named Paul. A lot of people named, you know, John. They would think of John the Apostle, but they were thinking of John the Evangelist because if you read, you know, church history and you read anything beyond that, you start re realizing they're all called the Evangelists, all, like the Gospel writers and Mark, the Evangelist, Luke, the Evangelist, you know, so, so they might read it there. Um, you know, so people are struggling. Where, where is it? But it's actually Philip. Look what it says. And the next day, we're there in Paul's company, departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the evangelist. So now he's got a house. Okay, wait, 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 wait. He's not, he needs a truck and trailer. What in the world? Okay, so he's got a house. And it says, which was one of the seven and abode with him. He stayed with him. So Paul stayed with Philip the evangelist in his house. He's one of the seven. What does that mean? This should draw you back now to figure out, okay, we can look at his life, but if he's one of the seven, it tells you specifically which Philip this is. Yeah, he's the deacon. He, he's the one that, at least the pre-deacon, I mean, it's like he's the one. So, so now, let's do this. Go to Acts chapter 6, okay? I know we're going to look at Acts 8 as well, but let's do this now and go to Acts 6 as we kind of see to unfold this. So I know Pastor uh, Wednesday nights uh, has a way of inductive uh, Bible study. And this is sort of what I'm doing right here for you as we kind of look into this. So let's go to Acts chapter six, verse one. As we look at this, it says, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in daily distribution. So they were helping the widows with food. And now all of a sudden the church kept growing. You know, sometimes when you have growing problems within a church, you now have, have new problems that you weren't thinking of. What are we going to do with this? Where are we going to put all the people? What about the plumbing? You know what I mean? I know. Anyway, uh, you know, you got a lot of people and all of a sudden and new buildings and new here. What are we going to do with this? Where are people going to park? You know I mean? We understand this within the local congregation and that's a, that's a great blessing to have. I mean, you're, you're multiplying. That's good. But within that, there's growing pains. How do we deal with this? And so because of that, it says in verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, again, they're not saying they're unwilling to serve. The idea is if we give up the preaching, that's the main thing. We can't do away with that. We need help. So we need people who can help in the daily parts of the ministry. Therefore, we can spend our time studying to give you, to feed you spiritually. And that's what's going on there to serve table. Then look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good, of good repute. Now think about this for a minute. Why didn't they say pick out seven women? 
And there's nothing wrong with women serving. Actually, even some churches would even have a deaconess. You know, they would even look at that as in a scriptural position, but that's a, a way of serving, serving. But it's interesting because, because when you look at God's design, he did design the man to be the leader. He's supposed, he's supposed to. And what happens when you have a culture with no male leadership? Well, then the women end up naturally stepping up and doing that and, and praise God for godly women. But there's an element of going, oh, you're kind of watching this um, being, being seen clearly. Seven men of good repute. So that means that it had a good reputation. People know them. Um, they were full of the Spirit. It means they were walking in the power of the Spirit. If Ephesians, you know, when it comes to Ephesians 5, 18, they were, they were seeking to be controlled consistently by the Spirit of God. It's, it's then Galatians chapter 5, and the fruits of the Spirit were seen in their life of love and joy and peace and long-suffering. I mean, those things were being seen because they were submitted to and they were walking daily in the power of the Spirit. That means they were word-filled people. So the spirit filled, and then it says, and of wisdom. They had wisdom from God because they were, they were actually obeying the scripture on a daily basis. And God was giving them wisdom and how to best live, wise living, and whom we will appoint to this duty. They had to be responsible. Um, you might have kind of good, good, that's a good guy, but he's incapable of anything. You know what I mean? And that would be bad. Um, and so here it is. And so it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. And then what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And then you begin to go through the others that are there. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed. They laid their hands on them. It's like they're ordaining them. They're kind of sending them out in a sense. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Man, God was doing some amazing things. And they were able to figure out this problem by God's help and, and how to distribute this better and, and these people. But here's one of them. It's Philip. Philip is a, is a, is a deacon. You, you could say this. His life backed up the message. I mean, that's important. I've had some people say, well, you know, you got the qualifications of a deacon, you got the qualifications of a, of a pastor elder in a sense, but, but you know, when it comes to the, uh, the evangelist, you know, I can kind of do whatever I want to do. I mean, if he's going to be a preacher, he needs to probably fulfill the whole, the whole idea of not just the, even a deacon, but the idea of a, of a shepherding style of elder, because that's his gifting in a sense too, of speaking and preaching. Like, that's a big deal. I've had, again, some say stuff like this. I'm like, what are, what are you saying? Because now you're acting like there's some kind of a maverick person, and they're not. Um, because God has ordained the local church. Now, wait a second. Okay, now go further. Go to, go to, I'm going to take you to Acts 8. But as you, here's, what happens, the, here's what happened historically. You finish this. It's growing. Remember, then right after that, Stephen is then seized. Stephen, remember, he was, he was preaching the gospel as a deacon. He's at some point, he's, he's got this, this ministry where he's, he's, he's preaching. It seemed to be like in a marketplace. And what happens? It's like it gets drawn to where it's, a, it's like a mob begins to almost. But they, they cannot go against his message. He, he was oh, like they were so mad because everything he was saying was true. And they couldn't stop him. He was eloquent. He could articulate the gospel well. And they're, oh, they're being pierced even further. And you have Acts chapter 7, all about that message until the end of Acts 7. 
which ends up in martyrdom. The first church's martyr. And remember, in verse 58 of chapter 7, they cast him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. So he seems to be kind of orchestrating this. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He was martyred. Let me ask you a question. If you were if your friend, you know, you're, you're part of the deacon group, and, and all of a sudden your friend gets martyred, do you think that's going to affect you? It affected the whole church. Actually, verse 8 says, Saul approved of his execution. And then what happens, there's, there's, major, there's major persecution, even verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. This is, this is major persecution. Now, notice verse 4, though. And when we look at this, I want to ask this question. If, if Philip is the evangelist, what is Philip doing if there's anybody to look at, if you know, I, I can look at Paul, I can look at John, I look at all these other people, that's nice. But if I'm going to look at what really specifically is an evangelist and the work, then I think we need to look at the one who's called an evangelist and look at what is he doing? What is he doing? Is he planting churches? What, is he doing mission work? What is he doing? In verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered went about, now this, is, this would include him, they went about, and what were they doing? Preaching the word. That's where the power is. They're preaching. They weren't, they weren't preaching their opinions. They were preaching the word. You can hear opinion preaching all day long. I mean, on a Sunday, go to almost any channel, you know, go to the internet and start listening to this message. You can hear all kinds of opinion preaching, but what does the word say? And when you get word preaching and you get used to word preaching, you're like, oh, that is awesome. And then when you don't hear word preaching and you think you're going to be hearing it and you're going, eh, oh, that frustrates me. Mm, you know, give me the Bible. And so you know when you start hearing it. So it's really amazing. So here it is, preaching the word. Now notice verse 5. Philip, he went down to the city of Samaria. Now remember, wait a second, Jerusalem, Samaria's up. Wait a second, the Bible's so wrong. He went down. No, it's built on a mountain. No matter where you look at it in Scripture, you always go up to Jerusalem and you'll always leave Jerusalem and go down. <laughs> and so the idea of going down to Samaria, that's clear because it's going down <laughs> elevation-wise. Go to Israel, you'll see that. It's, wow, Jerusalem is pretty crazy. Um, but, he, but what did he do? He went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. He's proclaiming Christ. He's preaching Messiah. And the crowds with one accord, they paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and they saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits were crying out with loud voices. They came out of many who had them and many who were paralyzed, were lame, were healed. I mean, it's really amazing. There was much joy in that city. Think about this, where true salvation happens, joy shows up. And it's like it's this, and joy is different than happiness. 
And you start seeing this joy-filled people. And then you go even further. But there was a man named Simon. Simon, we would call him a false convert. If you look at him carefully, he looked like a real convert initially. But what was Simon? He was this guy who practiced magic. He, I mean, he, he made himself out to be somebody who's great, it tells us in uh, verse 9. And they paid attention to him, verse 10, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for the long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he, what is he doing? As he preached good news about the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. So what they do, they hear this, they believe it, and then they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. It kind of seems like he, he becomes a Christian. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. But notice what he was so amazed with. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. It really wasn't about the Christ. Wow, look at those miracles they do. I want that power. Remember what happens with him? He gets to the point where he, he then says, hey, you know, uh, I see you guys have this power. Um, if I give you some money, will you give me the power too? This guy doesn't get it. He's about self and about his own life. Actually, in verse 18, it tells you now when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he ordered them uh, or he, he offered them money saying, hey, give me this power also that, that, so that anyone who, to whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But then Peter being there rebukes him hard and knows exactly what's going on. And Peter says, may your silver perish with you because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God with money. He says, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. You're, you're in bondage of your own sin. You, you don't get it. You, know, you need to repent. And, and Simon answered, well, pray for me. False convert. I'm just going to put it that way. Okay. Uh, and then watch this, though. These people were leaving now, the, the disciples. Verse 25, and when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem. What were they doing as they were returning? Again, this would have been his cohorts, in a sense, going back. Um, Peter and John. But they were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Are you, are you catching this? They're all about preaching the gospel, preaching the kingdom. I mean, this is good stuff. Then you go and you have one more thing that you see within Philip. Philip actually then personally starts evangelizing. And we can learn a lot even from this one. Go to verse 26. This is now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay, wait a second. I'm seeing revival break out. I'm seeing a great awakening in Samaria. I mean, God is doing amazing things. And you want me to leave that? And go to a desert road. <clears throat> There's no hesitancy. Not one. He just, he just, whatever God tells him to do, he does it. So he says, go do this, to this desert place. Go. 
And he arose and went. That's awesome. He's, he's obedient. He's willing. He's responsive. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, who had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in the chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So here's the spirit moving him again to do this. And so Philip said, no way, I'm not doing this. No, no, he did. He responded in the right way. Look at verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? Or if you love the King James, understandest what thou readest, you know. So, where art thou, Romeo? No. Uh, so I, what, what do you say? Just simply, do you understand what you're reading? Which is so amazing. This is so divine of an appointment. Consider this. Out of all places, this guy happens to be reading something. Well, that's one thing. And he's in the desert. And he's on this, in this chariot. And he's reading from Isaiah. And out of, he's reading out of Isaiah. There's all places in Isaiah. But no, he's reading right where Isaiah 53 is. I mean, this is crazy what he's reading. Which I mean, do you understand what you're reading? And then it says this. And he said, well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture he was reading was this, like a sheep was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before it shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth and his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this, his generation for his life was taken away from the earth. So as he's hearing this, the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask, um, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself? Is he talking about himself um, or about someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and watch what he does. And beginning with this scripture, right there, he told him the good news about Jesus. He starts there, and he takes him clearly to Christ. Because in many ways, you can understand the, the Bible. You know what the Bible is? It's his story. It's history. It's his story. It's the redemptive story. From the very beginning, the fall of mankind, but yet redemption happened. The seed of the woman and the, you know, would crush the head of the serpent. You know, it's like, it, and you're going to work your way till eventually you come to the very end of Revelation. Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, the Old Testament, what is it doing? The Old Testament is screaming to you. It's like, you know, it's, it's a, where's the perfect king? Where's the perfect priest? Where's the perfect sacrifice? Where's Messiah? And then all of a sudden Messiah is introduced very, very clearly in Matthew. You know, I mean, this is like, I mean, the whole thing is, is just, it's about Christ, isn't it? The redemptive story, God's plan through Christ. So you see this, and you're watching God at work, Christ at work, the Spirit at work, the Trinity at work. So again, as he tells him this, that just tells me again, what is he doing? He's preaching Christ, and he goes through there, and what happens? He says, hey, you know, along with the road, they came about to some water. And the eunuch said, see, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? You know, and then again, you have the, the verse. I don't know if you know, this is a kind of a verse that's there. That's some and some and some and not and others. And people wonder, was it there? Because the old manuscripts don't have it. And then the newer manuscripts also don't have it. And the truth is, eh, but the truth is, it is biblical. What, what's being said? You know, do you understand this? I mean, do you, do you really believe in Christ with all your heart? If you do, then you can be, you know, so this, the reality, reality is it's there. Okay. But it's like, I just want you to. Kind of see that. We could talk about bibliology some other time here. But verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. So the guy obviously came to Christ. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. What? 
What? And went on his way rejoicing. This is the eunuch. He got saved. What's followed by that? Rejoicing. I mean, I don't know where the guy went. But I just got saved. <laughs> I mean, obviously this is of God. I mean, you've got all these people that are his workers and people within the chariot, you know, all this stuff too, like doing all this it's entourage that's with them. Are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. And so, you know, and this guy historically goes back to where, in Africa area, and then he begins to, you know, maybe seemingly a church gets planted. But I would also say this to you, just because you lead someone to Christ doesn't mean you plant a church. Well, hopefully that can lead to a church plant. That would be sweet. But notice this, he found himself then in Azotus. That's the coast. Where he was, all of a sudden, he's on the coast. He found himself there. He's kind of like, he gets there. Woo! Um, so can I t have you noticed this too about Acts? There's a lot of things in Acts that happen that are not meant to be repeated. Acts, we call it a book, is a book that we'd, we'd often call it, it is, is, it is descriptive, but not always prescriptive. There are some things in Acts that are church history that are happened initially to authenticate the gospel and the church and have found this, but it's not meant to be repeated the same way. I mean, when's the last time you were in a service that you heard this rushing mighty wind and then all of a sudden you see cloven tongues of fire on top of people's heads and you're like, whoa, you know? Yeah, I haven't seen it either. So, but notice this, verse 40, as it's concluding, he passed through, so here he is, he goes to Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Azotus, you could say, is a, is a, is a town in a lower spot, and he's working his way up through all these towns until eventually he gets up to Caesarea. And you know what? You don't hear from him anymore, that's chapter 9, until chapter 21. That's where Paul visits him in his house in Caesarea. So we, I, my question is, when he went up there at that point, obviously, did he stay there? It seemed like he did. If he's preaching the gospel consistently, is he only preaching the gospel? Is he helping people live worthy of the gospel? Is he, is he going out and doing his ministry and coming back and his house is his base? I mean, we kind of have a lot of questions, don't we? And so I don't want to be super dogmatic on certain things. So therefore, when I look at this, you know, what is the biblical evangelist? I think in looking at those thoughts right there, I think he, I come to this conclusion. I think he's a gospel preacher. I think that's what his gift is. He preaches the gospel. He personally evangelizes. He preaches the gospel. And he's, he's good at that. It's like it's, it seems to be something that drives him too. I mean, it should all drive us to preach the gospel. But there's an element where you're going, you know, you meet certain people sometimes, even within the local body, and go, man, that person I think is gifted as an evangelist. I meet, I meet sometimes ladies. It's like a homeschool mom too. I mean, she's like, she's out and about. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. But there's certain people, that's their gift. Other people, you know, you're like, eh, if I even talk to anybody, eh. You know, you're like freaking out, you know, but it's like they can't get away from they want to share the good news. And I think the gospel, I think really the biblical evangelist, when you look at it and say in all of that, I think the overall umbrella is this. He's a gospel preacher and it can show up as a church planter. It can show up as a pastor. It can show up as an outreach pastor within a local church. Why not? It can show up as something that we do as we travel around and help local churches, even though I am based out of my local church. I'm like a missionary from my church. You know what I mean? They can, my church can church discipline me. And so, you know, I, I'm underneath the, uh, uh, you know, the authority of the church. So I look at that and then I would say this, something you need to see, and we'll kind of close out. And he gave some apostles and prophets and some evangelists. 
and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So wait a second. Apostles, these are the ones who are strictly underneath Jesus' ministry. They were not to be succeeded or like you didn't have multiple extra after they pass away. They kind of, they're done. They're the foundation. We have prophets and we can look at prophets in scripture and say it was Agabus and some other people too, but you have different prophets who are proclaiming, but there was also because revelation wasn't completed in a sense. The book, so, so there is, there is some somewhat new revelation still, but yet it's, then once the scripture is completed, you don't have need for any new revelation. You got the scripture, it's done. So some would say apostles and the prophets seem to die out, but they're still evangelists who are gospel preachers. And you have pastors who are there locally consistently and pastors and teachers, they're, they're ministering that way. Why? For the perfecting of the saints? To build up? I mean, it's for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. I, you could, I remember, you could say, hey, is pastor supposed to be doing the work of the ministry? Yeah. But he's actually equipping you to do the work of the ministry. We're, we're all called to do the work of the ministry. And then you look at this for the edifying of the body of Christ. So you're equipping and you're building up the body. And I would say under the auspices or under the umbrella of an evangelist, you're going to see me do that through gospel ministry consistently, help you better live worthy of the gospel and give out the gospel. That's my desire this week. It's unique that you're doing a week like this because I know sometimes when we do things, we have event style where it's all these events now, Wednesday night, we will have a, we'll have a, we'll have a sacred concert that we'll do. We'll do special music nightly. But I will tell you, and then with the kids' ministry, there's stuff happening consistently. We'll have a pre-service teens. We're going to do stuff helping equip you when it comes to the evening services and those things as well. But as I say that, um, in the end, we're going to be, I'm going to be challenging in gospel living and gospel giving each and every service. You're going to see how they'll all connect. And so now, all of a sudden, I'm going to take you on a journey and it's weird because it's not normal to go to church on a Monday night or a Tuesday night. Uh, Wednesday's more normal. Sunday's more normal. So th- it'll be a little bit different as we do this. But I will tell you this. That journey through the word, power, if you have a humble heart, will powerfully affect you. It will change you. We don't do this all the time. That's why it's special, isn't it? And we're praying that God will use us in a very special way. So actually, I was in my classes. There's a, a, a famous, just a preacher and he, who's, a, who's my teacher, is one of my teachers in my, in my doctoral course. And um, he, he made this comment to me as I'm talking to him, as he goes all over the world teaching, preaching. His name is Dr. Steve Lawson. I'm talking, he goes, Jeremy, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm actually an evangelist. And he's like, really? Because in my course that I'm doing this, I'm one of 75 guys that probably at any time that are taking this course. And I'm the only one that's an evangelist. And he said, you know what? The local church is in desperate need of more biblical evangelists. Jeremy, stay biblical, preach the word, preach Christ. I said, thanks, Dr. Lawson. But you think about this and go, where are the evangelists? Back when I was growing up, there were so many more I could name. Now there's very few. And you kind of wonder, and I think about the same thing. I could say, where are the pastors? Because there are so many churches right now without pastors and evangelists, missionaries. And yet God has called us to do the work of an evangelist, all of us. We all do the work, but they're sometimes uniquely gifted. And you can tell that within the people. I think the church begins to see that 
And so this is what we're praying for. That's a biblical advantage. Hopefully that's helpful. You walk away and go, ooh, I want to grab a hold of that. You know Philip is the one. You can study out his life and see what he did. May God help us do the work of an evangelist. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've had together. And just to inductively kind of look at the life of Philip. I pray as we would leave uh, here this morning, just fellowshipping for a while and then coming back to the service. Will you please, by your grace, stir our hearts? Will you work in us? Will you work through us that today we would be a blessing to each, each around here? I pray that each one of us would, would, would go out of their way to meet others and to greet others. And Lord, knowing that there are some who will come and some who are here now who are without Christ. So God, I ask that you would open up their heart and their life. And I ask that you would, you would work on them and they would repent. They would turn from their sins to Christ alone and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. Bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much.